0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com.
2: Food and travel. They go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at CharityBuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to feast Portland or enjoy a ranch-to-table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate Bourbon and Beyond weekend in Lexington, or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now.
3: Are you a startup looking for VC funding? If you are, this pitch show is for you. Oh, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. I love to say that, and every time I do, I think, I wonder if I could list 150 countries. I'm not sure if I could name 150, which is a terrible thing to say, but true. Today, we are here for the 135th episode of Tech Bytes. It is Thursday, April 19th in 2018, and we have a very special and unusual show for you today. Um, Typically, we talk to influencers and innovators in the tech space, and today we are bringing those people together with the all-important potential VC funding. We have return guest Charlie O'Donnell, who's founder and partner of Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, which is the first Brooklyn-based VC fund. Charlie, thank you for coming back. Happy to be here. We're excited for you, to, for you to be on our show and do our own little kind of like mini Tech bites shark tank.
4: I'm excited to find
3: the next big deal. Yay! It would be so exciting if magic money happened on the show live. Joining us um, to pitch Charlie today is Mark Cooper from Bluefields is his company. Mark, thank you for coming on.
5: Thanks for having me.
3: We're excited Mark's going to pitch first. We decided the order would go by the first initial of people's last names. So that means that Aaron Feinstein, whose business is called Avocado, will be going second. Aaron, thank you for coming.
6: Thanks for having me. Are you excited? I am. A little nervous? Very much so. Yeah, there's
3: there's always a level of um, nervousness and excitement in the studio when we do the show because it's live. And most people don't have a lot of experience with live radio, but this has an extra something special that's very tangible in the air, and it's, it's not pizza.
4: <laughs> I <laughs> thought that was the pizza, actually.
3: <laughs> so we are going to do a quick round robin, like we always do, and talk about apps. Apps we love, new ones we've discovered, old favorites. The only rule is that you cannot talk about an app that you own, have built, or invested in. Aaron, do you have an app that you really love right now that you use all the time?
6: An app that I uh, can't get I, away from. I'm I just started exploring City Mapper. That's kind of an interesting new concept to me. I've been kind of tied into Google Maps and living in New York City. It's nice to be able to find an app that like actually gives you accurate MTA information that's updated in real time. So that's been a that's been a new a new discovery. And they have like bike travel times and things so it's it's very connected to the new york city experience and I, I think it's great
3: i've not tried that one i too use google maps quite a bit um i find it better than the map that just is it the safari maps that open in your iphone whatever the map is that opens automatically from the links is terrible
6: yeah and specifically if you're like traveling in new york city that is like the the apple version of that app is just it doesn't i it's never really worked for me. It's never given me accurate time. So,
3: An interesting app for you to check out if you're interested in directions in an urban kind of focus. Um, we had the founder on the show, I think, last year um, when we did a, a show on travel apps. It's called Walk, W-A-L-C, and it is directions for walking from place to place. So the landmarks are different. The signage is different. It's crowdsourced, and they have a very interesting model where they use um, students in schools to help source and input the data, um, specifically, um, like, girls' groups and young women's groups in schools, because the founder's a woman, and she said that, um, you know, young women are really excellent at detail and data and and all that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting. It's a completely different pedestrian, urban take on directions. Hmm. Yeah, W-A-L-C, Walk. It's a good one. Great. Cool. Mark, you have an app that you like right now?
5: Yeah. I haven't used it yet, but I've downloaded it. It's actually an app that a friend of mine worked on, which I think is admissible under the rules. Um, it's a, an app called Win-Win-Save. And I think it's interesting because it's about helping people save money um, and doing it in a way where the more money they save during a given week, the more chances they have to win a weekly prize. So he puts out a weekly prize of, you know, I think it's $10,000. And it's interesting in the sense that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who spend money on lottery tickets. And as opposed to kind of engaging in that behavior where you're not seeing any benefit from it, um, engaging in similar behavior, uh, but in the process saving money.
3: Where does the prize money come from?
5: So the prize money comes from fees that he collects um, as part of opening a saving a- savings account on the app.
3: So it's self-funded. Yes. It's not like the $10,000 prize is sponsored by Roberta's Pizza.
5: I mean, it's a good point. He might get into sponsorships at some point, but at this point it's coming from the business. It seems
3: They've- like... Oh.
6: It seems like quiz shows are and things like this are back. I, that there's that this phenomenon of HQ. Have you have you? It's like that. It's the like live. A, a, everybody stops what they're doing
4: in the office. Yes. at, What is it? Four o'clock or something yeah. like that.
3: There's also an app where it tracks your exercise. Fitcoin, I think it's called, and you accrue points and then prizes for working out. Uh-huh. So it's definitely gamification of things, gamification and, you know, social stats and all of that. I think people, you know, want to get into it and then compete and then win something. Yeah. Interesting. The lottery thing is maybe like gambling is not good, but the benefit is not a necessarily directly personal benefit, but theoretically goes to the state or, you know, government coffers to theoretically be a part of, you know, the civic monies that they spend on things that would theoretically improve your life in a general neighborhood community sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. That's true.
3: Interesting. So we'll stay tuned to that. You're gonna, are you going to actually use it? I am. Or did you just download it to help out a friend to get some downloads?
5: <laughs> I downloaded it and, uh, yeah, I've got to start using it. Okay. Set it up and deposit some money.
3: Yeah, I saving money. Okay, Charlie, do you have an app that you like right now?
4: Yeah, but mine is a little bit of a cheat because it's an app that goes with my watch. Okay. And um, so I'm a triathlete, and I've I've done a couple of half irons, and
3: uh, oh, that sounds so grueling to me.
4: It's uh, it's not that bad everybody's into something different. I, so.
3: I do martial arts and I'd really just rather get punched in the face.
4: That sounds pretty <laughs> grueling to me. <laughs> but uh yeah, this this uh the app, uh the the watch is called Amazefit, which mm-hmm. is probably the worst and sketchiest sounding name for uh for a piece of consumer electronics. But uh I have to say I've been using this watch now for about a week. I think I saw it in um the Verge or Quartz or something along those lines, there was a review on it, and it's it's waterproof, it switches easily between uh, all my activities, and it has GPS, and a lot of the former GPS watches were pretty bulky.
3: And like so, the Garmins and things y- like that? Yeah,
4: yeah, they're sort of, it's Giant. not something you'd wear every day, but... Uh, you know, this syncs up with my Strava, so I can get all my bike rides in, and and you're running, yeah, and it's got my notifications too. So, um,
3: heart rate monitor,
4: heart rate monitor could be continuous, so it's it's got a fair amount of stuff stuffed in there to a pretty thin watch. So, okay, and the the app syncs everything up with all of my Strava and other things. So, it's That's an app great. with a watch attached to it.
3: It's a it's a okay fitness tracker. Yeah, yeah, Uber fitness tracker. For, mm-hmm. the, for the triathlete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're getting ready for a race soon, yeah?
4: I'm always getting ready for a race, but I sort of feel like all of the races are getting me ready to eat something. Interesting.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
4: all of these races may be just an excuse to come to here and a, take a pizza To have out. a
3: 6,000 calorie a day regimen that you have to fulfill.
4: Uh, I'd, I'd like to exercise enough where I could eat 6,000 calories a day. That sounds pretty good to me, actually.
3: Does it track your calorie output?
4: It does not. Uh, oh yeah, I guess, um,
3: you know, it doesn't, it should uh, have yeah, some probably kind of, somewhere it should around, have yeah. a Kcal output, if, especially probably. if you're doing heart rate and Garmin and tracking yeah. data.
4: I know it's got steps and everything else, but yeah, I'm not much of a calorie counter, to be honest.
3: Well, I mean, for you, if you're an endurance athlete like that, it's a lot. You yeah. know. or one of the easiest ways, also they say that you can track what you need is to weigh yourself before and after you wake, you work out, to get a, a baseline sense of how much you need to put into your body. Either while you're I training do that or on after. a regular I do
4: weigh myself every yeah. day. Yeah. I, I made a little chart actually of current weight and target weight, and drew a line on a on a spreadsheet. And so I know within a range where I'm supposed to be, and I change my eating depending on that.
3: Do you weigh yourself after you train?
4: I weigh myself at the same time every morning. Right. like when I wake up.
3: But if you went on a five-hour bike ride and you got on the scale before and after, it would kind of give you a sense of what your, what your sure. workout load was. Normally my bike
4: rides have a stop at a donut shop in the middle, so <laughs> I <it> might not <laughs> I wind up putting it all back. You know,
5: that's I like funny. It. I like your approach. Yeah, yeah.
3: A lot of people seem to have a stop in the middle of their bike ride at a donut shop or a muffin store or a coffee shop or something. That seems to be par for the course.
4: Especially in New York. Because there are, I think some du- muffin shops and donut shops have strategically located themselves at a certain distance and turnaround point on 9W up in the Palisades. So,
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more about that maybe after. Sure. So we are going to get into the pitch portion of the show. And Charlie was on earlier this year. He was actually our first guest for 2018. It was episode 123. It was called Get Funded with Brooklyn Bridge Ventures. And we talked about why more restaurants and food businesses don't get venture funding. And we talked about the startup game and how everybody's looking for money. And we thought it would be a lot of fun to have two companies come on the show and pitch Charlie. So we put the word out on social media and through Charlie's newsletter and took in pitch decks. The requirements were people had to be New York City based available to be live in studio pre-750K. And that's kind of all the requirements. Charlie and I also decided that he was not going to have any information about the companies or the guests. So it could be a very, very fresh take on things and he would not have any preconceived notions about them. And then as we said, we decided who was going to go first based on last names. So the way this is going to work is um, both Mark and Aaron are going to have five minutes to make their pitch to Charlie. And then Charlie's going to have 10 minutes to talk with them, ask them questions and see how it goes. So Mark is up first and the clock is now at 11.17. So
5: great. I'm going to dive in. Uh, nice to meet you, Charlie. Nice to meet you. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just dive in very quickly and try to use my five minutes correctly. Um, so essentially, Bluefields is the name of the company. And imagine the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and Alibaba having a kid, and that kid decided to focus on seaweed. So it's an exchange slash marketplace focused on the seaweed industry. Now, why why seaweed? You probably know about the nutritional benefits. Um, arguably one of the most nutritious plants on earth, 70 vitamins, enzymes, minerals, etc. It actually has applications across a dozen categories, industry categories and counting. Um, so another example where seaweed is deriving great benefits is fertilizer. So seaweed has natural plant hormones that stimulate plants and allow them to get increased water uptake, protects them from frost. Um, increases uh, shelf life and crop yield. Um, So a lot of studies are being done about it, but as plants become more organically sourced, seaweed is being used for that. A couple of other areas. So livestock feed. Um, Seaweed also has a great deal of uh, interesting prebiotics. Um, Those prebiotics help intestinal nourishing of livestock. So you get um, higher quality meat, um, the animals are healthier. um, And as an additional effect, it actually decreases methane emissions by 90%. So this is after multiple studies done by multiple universities um, in Australia, the US, Europe. Um, Methane from cows is actually a leading contributor to greenhouse gases. So a 90% reduction with only about a 5% additive to their overall feed is pretty amazing. Um, a couple of other areas I'll touch on quickly. Packaging is actually a new area that came up in the last six months or so, um, where companies are creating packaging, like specifically water bottles, um, and using seaweed to do that instead of using plastic. Um, so the the estimate is that less than one percent, if less than one percent of brown seaweed um, were used to construct bottles, um, those it would completely replace the plastic that's currently used in the bottling industry. Um, for reference, that's about a hundred billion dollars spent on plastic bottles per year. Um, and then, and then as a last area, which is, which is vitally important, seaweed captures more carbon, um, than any other plant on earth, 20 times more than, uh, land-based plants. Um, so the estimate is about 175 million metric tons, um, per year. Imagine what it would mean to double or triple that. Now, The issue with the current industry um, is that production is actually lagging these new demand categories that are surging. Um, And so this is characterized because, you know, it's happening because most of the farms are small to mid-sized. There's not a lot of agreement or consensus on pricing. Um, Seaweed isn't listed on an exchange, um, any commodities exchanges globally. Um, And so there's, there's little access to liquidity. And so developing an exchange for the seaweed industry is a way that we believe we can remedy that. So our mission is to improve people's lives and to improve the planet um, by accelerating the seaweed industry. The current target for 2025, the projected um, estimate for the industry in terms of raw seaweed stock uh, is 26 million in 2025. We wanna double that. Billion. I'm sorry, 20, yeah, Yeah. billion. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about what an, what, a, what an exchange is. An exchange is essentially a trading network. It's a very valuable trading network. So since, um, what, the mid-1600s, exchanges have been shown to accelerate growth um, and grow value. Having that kind of model applied to a specific industry, um, therefore, will help an industry grow, accelerate value, Um other examples out there are, include Alibaba, which actually started focusing on electronic components before it expanded out. Um, I think this model offers a number of different opportunities in terms of lines of business. Um, so on top of the food category, helping to grow that area of seaweed production, um, additional areas around carbon credits, etc. cetera. Uh, a network itself has inherent... Um, inherent values or inherent uh, characteristics that make it interesting from an investment point of view. Um, They're inherently viral. Um, They're also inherently defensible. So once someone joins that network, it's very difficult for them to leave it. So looking at it from an overall perspective in the commons exchange, and I'm seeing I've got a couple of minutes left. so we're developing a commons exchange, and it's it's a little different from a typical um, exchange. The idea is to have this exchange owned by um, participants and governed by participants. It'll be built on top of the Ethereum blockchain, so none of the sexy parts of an ICO or anything like that, just focusing directly on leveraging the blockchain infrastructure um, and some protocols that have been built on top of it. Um there will be tokens. Um, Those tokens are given as rewards for participation in the exchange. So essentially, those tokens are mined through participation in the exchange. And then those tokens can be used to fund industry projects around um, investing in sustainable technologies for the industry. So sustainable production technologies, um, seed variations, etc. So that's the overall idea.
3: And that was five minutes.
5: question is who had 22 minutes in the
4: blockchain pool of how long <laughs> it would be before <laughs> s- blockchain would get mentioned in the in the in the podcast
3: uh, we'll have to do a, we'll have to do a pool next time yeah.
4: so yeah. so so I have a couple of questions one I have is a remedial question sure is all seaweed seaweed and and what I mean by that is you know, growing up going to the beach, I've you know, lakes and whatever, I see things that people call seaweed and I don't know whether it's the same plant, whether it's a single species of seaweed that is like, you know, when I go to a Japanese restaurant and they say it's a seaweed yeah. salad, it doesn't it doesn't feel and look like the
5: same thing. So I'm just wondering if it's a homogeneous yeah. That's a that's a great question. So there are eleven thousand species of seaweed. Okay. Um that's within a larger category of algae um, okay. there are about 50,000 species in total of algae um, so in some cases you might have been looking at algae mm-hmm. um, but yeah so is it a specific type of seaweed that has the properties or is it just like anything that sort of fits in the 11,000 um, so there's specific types that are are Mainly used for um, food and for other gotcha. applications currently. Okay. Um, that numbers in the in the fifteen range. Okay. Fifteen different species. Um, so you know you probably you're probably familiar with nori and uh, wakame and okay. kelp. Um, gotcha. Some of the more kind of edible types, and then there are other species that are associated with Um, carrageenan. Mm-hmm. um So using that extract in industries like pharmaceuticals, personal care, etc. Gotcha. They come from different species.
4: Okay. So I followed along on the value of seaweed.
5: Yeah. Like I could I could believe
4: that. I it it feels like there are a lot of new um, or, or underutilized agricultural materials that are finding new use cases, right? So so check the box on that. So the question is for me, how do you best take advantage of that if you if you believe that? And you know, part of me sort of, uh, I, I, I guess looking at it, you, maybe the, the least risky way is to take a picks and shovels approach basically mm-hmm. to say, well, we definitely want more people farming seaweed. Yeah. Cause that's, that's part of the, the goal. You want to bring on more, uh, supply into the system. Yes. Where you lost me a little bit was how, an exchange creates supply and just in terms of, you know, there's someone somewhere in the world who is deciding, I mean, A, are they deciding like, do I grow seaweed or something else? Or B sort of like the cannabis industry, are these relatively new participants to ag in general that you're trying to encourage brings on the market? And I'm not sure I understand why a tradable exchange does
5: that. Got it. So there are, there are two dimensions to the seaweed space. Mm -hmm. One is that, you know, it's been around for a very long time in multiple cultures, Mm -hmm. primarily in Asia, um, but also used a lot in countries in Northern Europe um, as food and also as ways to, you know, patch shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's an old traditional industry. Um, Then there are these new emerging categories. And, you know, in some cases we're seeing kind of like a resurgence in the older categories like food. So, for example, seaweed snacks in the U.S. It's sure. a $500 million market in the U.S. now. Um, one, of the, one of the things that these kind of new entrants to the market are looking at is, okay, I go through the process of cultivating the seaweed. Um, I'm doing the practices, hopefully around product traceability, um, screening against hazards, contaminants, all of that. Now it's time for me to sell it. What, what does the selling universe look like for mm-hmm. me? And... What we want to do is provide a marketplace where those buyers are apparent and where people are getting an idea of what the pricing looks like. And that gives them the ability to go back and say, "Okay, so if I do, if I invest X amount of money to produce seaweed, here's what I could expect as a return. So an example is my mom's family are tobacco farmers. And the whole equation was around what can we sell our tobacco for at the local market Mm -hmm. outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, it's an interesting story because once once those exchanges essentially were all bought out in the early 80s by large tobacco companies, um, you know, the, the ability to sell tobacco was just gone. Um, and so I, I view this as a way to cultivate not just kind of like the larger players in the existing market, but really a way to provide a nice ground framework uh, for new entrants into the market. And when you talk about exchange and the blockchain and all that sort of stuff versus
4: marketplace, it sounds a little bit like you're using the terms interchangeably. And I and I think that like there's a difference. Like a commodities exchange brings in the p- possibility of speculators and all these other guys, whereas a marketplace, sort of an Alibaba type thing, is not necessarily a tradable exchange. Which
5: thing are you starting with or doing? So it's a hybrid. Okay. And, and let me let me explain that. So. Um, like an Alibaba, we're going to offer multiple, you know, species and products and product types, um, in the exchange at different stages of the production cycle. So Mm -hmm. it could be raw stock, feedstock, what have you. Um, when you say offer, yeah,
4: you will bring
5: suppliers into the marketplace. So, yeah, because you're not the seller. I'm not the seller. So a producer will come in, set up an account. Okay. Um, they'll create orders. Um, Where do they sell now? How How is it done now? So right now it's done in a very manual way. Um, it's geographically based, so they'll look for buyers who are around them geographically. So if you look at Maine, for example, um, a lot of the producers there are wild harvesting seaweed mm-hmm. or they're just starting aquaculture operations around seaweed. Most of their sales are to local restaurants. They do actually some verticalization practices where they dry their own seaweed and then sell directly to other locations. So they'll pick up the phone and call. Um, In some cases... Do they
4: sell or do food companies buy? Like, I would be surprised if a seaweed farmer sells without knowing that he has a buyer already versus... The company that makes the dry seaweed, I would imagine they go look for buyers and
5: then contract out. Well that's I mean, that's the the chicken and egg thing that I'm that I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. Um the buyers that are out there are primarily um restaurants or smaller companies that would be interested in buying from a small producer. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's about reaching out and, and setting up local contacts. Gotcha. Um those buyers will will do that up front if they've got, you know, a seaweed dish that they want to offer. They'll ask, you know, who's out there producing seaweed. Um, but as a producer, to go out there and kind of figure out what the market looks like actually takes some work. Right. There are emerging aggregators, right, to help service some of the larger buyers who won't really even pay attention to small producers because the the work that you'd have to go through to assemble what you need in terms of, in terms of inventory would be tough. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where we see, you know, this exchange having an impact.
4: Gotcha. And what's your take and what's your expectation for what, uh, how much is the addressable market for you?
5: Yeah, good question. Um, so there isn't an existing exchange out there that offers seaweed Mm -hmm. as a commodity, right? Or as a marketplace item. Um, and so we, you, you know, said the, there
4: are aggregators though. There are places I can go to
5: buy. Yeah, there are there are aggregators, but it's it's almost like me saying, okay, I'm Mark Cooper and I'm an aggregator. I've got a network of producers and sellers that um, that I work with. I don't typically have a website up. Gotcha. That, gotcha. They're brokers. They're, know, broker. they're more like brokers. Like, they're more like brokers. Okay, that's right. Um, so the total addressable market um, is the is the twenty six billion from a, a raw stock perspective. Um, we're looking at capturing about 20% of that in terms of in terms of exchange transactions at maturity. But like today, yeah,
4: all 26 billion dollars could be online, but it isn't. So the world eats 26 billion dollars of seaweed. Yeah And how much of that is why, why 20%?
5: I'm I'm throwing out I'm throwing out a, a guess. It's a guess. Okay. Um. And that guess is based on the. There's idea of There's not something us being about
4: a, the eighty that makes it not applicable to what you're doing.
5: No. No. I'm so just, you're going
4: after hundred percent.
5: Yeah. Going after a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. But what? in terms of okay, I thought you were talking about in terms of uh, what your expectation is from a business model.
4: Perspective. No. No. I well, I I sort of mean I wonder if there's like maybe there's some large aggregators or something some large contracts you won't
5: touch or something yeah like no know, then, we'll go okay. after the entire you, you'll go after everything gotcha yeah.
4: and and how much do you make on each transaction
5: so that's a good question um the initial estimate is two percent on each transaction um what do brokers make brokers make anywhere between five to eight percent gotcha in the in the agricultural space um on the flip side you know from an exchange perspective once you reach large volume, you tend to start charging flat fees. Gotcha. So at some point there will probably be a transition into a flat fee structure.
4: Gotcha.
3: We're at 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Can I give
4: one last bit of feedback? Yes. Um, a lot of times you don't know whether the person on the other side of the table is an expert or, you know, how much they know about all this sort of stuff. And, and, I, and I almost feel like simplifying things and getting somebody on board with a simple concept can can at least help you turn over another card right get me interested enough if nothing else forget about the blockchain and the trading and all that sort of stuff yeah even if you're just an online broker right if you just say hey there's a brokerage market people buy through calling up their seaweed guy yeah. And that guy's got pen, paper, all the sort of stuff. And, like, if all you do is just have a website where somebody goes, oh, okay, here's a buyer, here's a place I can sell or whatever, like, just bringing that side of the market online yeah. seems viable, seems doable, seems like, you know, oh, I, I can buy into that. I've seen that happen in other markets. And and then we can sort of explore, like, how you go about doing that and how you go to the market. When you, when you bring in the the trading and the, and the voting and the community ownership that it, it's all like in some ways distracting from the just basics of like if all we can do in the next year as a because i'm a seed investor right Yep. is is bring offline transactions online and we can make money doing that and that's something that benefits everyone and we can cut out the the middle you know broker guy and make it cheaper for everyone like that's pretty good Like, I I would just sort of start there as the thing you're trying to convince investors that you do. And then you can go into the tactics of everything else.
5: That's reasonable. In
4: in some ways, this sort of blockchain thing, I think, sometimes feels like, are you trying to, like, shoehorn this food thing into the blockchain because blockchain's cool? Or is it actually a really useful
5: thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would argue it's really useful. I mean, the way, the way we are starting is by setting up a company directory. Mm-hmm. So right now, there's not a directory of seafood companies yeah, you know, companies in the U.S. That's exactly where we are going.
3: So we got to jump yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got to jump. Yeah. Done. Ding. Time. Ding. Okay. Okay. We're going to commercial break. Cool. cool. Okay. And when we come back, um, after listening to who is the amazing sponsor of this show, we are going to have Aaron Feinstein pitch Avocado.
1: 100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate.
3: Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we have a very special show. We have Charlie O'Donnell, the founding partner of Brooklyn Bridge Venture Capital. He is listening to two live pitches. We just heard a pitch from Mark Cooper of Bluefields, which is a seaweed common exchange. Very interesting. Up next, we will hear from Aaron Feinstein, whose company is called Avocado. He will have five minutes to pitch Charlie, and then Charlie will have 10 minutes to give him some feedback. So, Aaron,
0: you're on the clock. Hey, How
6: are you doing? Good. So, uh, I have significant food allergies. Uh, I'm allergic to soy, and there was a time in my life where I wanted to try a plant-based diet, and I found that it was really impossible to structure my diet in any way uh, without you know, relying on soy project products. And I had to search. Search was like the only way to really figure out how to structure that diet. Um, and so it really got me thinking about just the wide variety of diets that I'm encountering in Brooklyn. Uh, we live amongst a very diverse eating culture. So people are trying different things. And I want to try different things. I'm somebody who likes to explore my diet. I'm always curious about Paleo and gluten free and all of these things, but then I know people that have significant med- medical needs. I work a lot in the autism community. There's a lot of different diets that are that people are using in that community as well. So it's just something that I think is is it's a really uh, pot- you know important thing that's happening right now. Is people are trying and it's different ways of dieting. Um, and so what what I did was I created avocado and avocado is. Basically, you're allowed to, you you create your own individual dietary profile. So, you know, you're a triathlete. You need to eat a certain amount of calories. You you probably don't like a certain kind of food. Um, You know, you you have a very individualized way of eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, You may snack throughout the day. You may eat three meals a day. Um, And in that profile, what we do, we call ourselves your dietary matchmaker. So what we do is we link you to potential diets that would work for you. Um, And those are coming from professionals and influencers and uh, diets that are out there, paleo, gluten-free, all of these things that are in the common, I want to say the common domain. Uh, But at the same time, there's a lot of professionals. And the the interesting thing that happened when I created this concept is I started to talk to professionals. My original idea was more of a CRM-style idea where I wanted to bring professionals onto... um, onto the cloud and and have a really robust, I was like, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's give them a data record system. Let's give them this kind of almost like doctor like, and and when I started to talk to these professionals, it, it sounded like they wanted really all this, they wanted the same thing. They wanted to be able to cut through the noise. Basically, the internet's a really noisy place. So it's hard to reach your, your, your people. And at the same time, they also wanted to be able to provide meal plans, recipes, all of these things. And... They almost all specify They're all, they have a specific community that they reach out to. So uh, on my team, I work with Amy Vig. She's our nutritional expert. She runs a company called Cooking with a Whole Plate, a full plate. And uh, she, she works with families, family meal planning. So this is her this is who she wants to reach. But she uses Facebook, she uses all the traditional social media, you know, and she's having a hard time getting traction. But if she had a network of people, um, that, that could do that, you know, that could, um, that she could connect to, that would be great. So how we do it is through artificial intelligence and predictive analysis. We take your information, we use predictive analysis, predictive al- algorithms to connect you to those diets. Um, and our CTO, Augie Smith, he was the CTO of CODA, which is a cancer research company. And, uh, you know, he's well steeped in big data and how this, you know, this, this connection can happen. Uh, as, as many technologists have said to me about artificial intelligence, it's all math. You know, so at the end of the day, it's how we can really make that, that beautiful connection, that, that simple connection between what you're putting out there. And that applies to you know, your wellness needs too. I think that's a big thing that's missing from how diets are approached currently. A lot of people care about the earth. They want to you know, eat more sustainably and, 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 and they just don't know how to do it. So if search is the only way to do that, You know, I think it's 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 It 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 seems like there, there's got to be a better way. You know, and that's what we're creating. Um, From a business standpoint, it's a freemium model on both sides. So it's a freemium model for the 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 end user, the person like you who's a triathlete. Maybe you want to come on and just be able to look at certain diets that you're interested in. You have no desire to connect with a professional. You have no desire to go dig deeper, Um, but you may want to. And so it's a tiered payment model where you can kind of work, you know, how you want to work. If you want to connect with somebody who specializes in, uh, you know, uh, recovery, you know, based, you know, after a triathlete, I know I was a swimmer, you know, you eat certain things during training, you eat certain things during recovery, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and if you wanted to connect with somebody who's an expert like that, you would have the ability to do that. But that's, you have to pay for that. You know, it's not just, you know, the information. Um, and I would say the same. Oh, am I five? I would just want to say one thing. It's the same for the professional. You know, they get more tiered services as they, that you know, as they sign on. But they pay. It's not freemium for them. They have to pay to come on to to our
4: system because they're reaching potential customers. Gotcha. Cool. So here's my remedial question for you: mm-hmm. How many different diets are there out there? I mean, is this the scope of you know that that? 20, or 200, or 2,000? Uh, There are thousands. And
6: there are thousands not only, you know, so we can probably in this room rattle off, maybe we could probably get maybe 20 to 50, Mm -hmm. my guess would be Mm -hmm. if we just you know did a little think on it. But then you have to put into all the influencer style diets. So it's people that are really scoping out a very particular thing, you know, diabetes, autism, take every kind of medical condition that exists, there is a way you're supposed to eat for that. You take all the different kinds of sports and things like that. And these aren't, it's not like you're going, you know, our goal is to make that profile simple so you don't spend so much time. But at the same time, I, you know, if you're a triathlete, you know, I I would, I would ask specifically about training and recovery, you know, like that would be so you could connect to the right sort of things.
4: And is my interaction with this one that looks like content or looks more like a service? Uh, I would say it's
6: a mixture of both. So there is a community element to this. So you can look at articles, you can look at the materials that are being put out there, um, but at the same time, it's 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 a tool. That's what I would say. It's less of a service or tool. You know, it's 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 a mixture of both. I, I don't want to be uh, thrive global, uh, Ariana Huffington's company, which is a media company that's basically doing health. You know, it's mm-hmm. a huge conglomerate media company and. It's about articles. I I think this has that element to it, but it's really a tool. It allows you to personalize. We call it, you know, your personalized healthy living solution. It basically allows you to personalize how
4: you're going to, how you like to eat. You know. Gotcha. So, I would say uh, a couple pieces of feedback. One is there are elements of this that I like better and elements that I like less. And Mm -hmm. I say one of the elements I like. So a few years ago, I did the four-hour body. Cool. And w- what I found about this diet space is I felt like every individual diet had its own little ecosystem of content, right? So you'd, you'd go Google four-hour body stuff, and there's, like, you know, 10 different sites. And then there's, like, Tim Ferriss's site and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And it was just very hard to get. Definitive information and and put it all in one place and everyone was sort of SEOing it, right? But if I decided to switch from that to something else, then it was like a whole new ecosystem with without consistency of and, switching.
6: And, I, and I'm, and i as I said, started off, I want, I'm a diet explorer. I'm not one who sticks, right, you know? So right. I, I think that's super important that there's search involved in this as well as your profile, which you can change, yeah, you know?
4: Yeah, exactly. And so I think there's, I do think there's a value to structuring the comparison, right? I go on a site and I sort of think about, oh, well, you know, here's what this diet looks like and here's what that diet looks like and, and people can sort of compare or whatever. I think there's some... There's some value to that, and there's, there's also some, t- to some extent. I mean, that's what self and other properties should be doing to some extent, right? Um, so I, 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 think there's a there. I think there is a media value to that. I don't know how big that that business is, but um, on the flip side of it, I do think that it, what we've seen in the consumer space is a move away from giving people information to giving people service um, I mean if you think about like blue apron for, for a moment right we've moved from forget about searching recipes We'll just make some stuff for you mm-hmm. right and in, in some way those businesses are selling time and they're selling experience. I have a company in the travel space and they looked at the way everyone else approaches travel and they said well you know there's a, there's a lot of surge. There's a lot of recommendation. And trying to be better search and better recommendation, uh, one, is incredibly difficult. It's it's You're dealing with the same commodity information that everybody else has versus what they took as sort of a perspective, of like, no, we'll just do it for you. Just, like, we'll book your trip kind of thing. And I, and I wonder if there isn't some element of consistent service model. I don't know if you want to go into the actual food delivery space which is sort of an operational nightmare but but if nothing else maybe connecting with oh if we you're on the keto diet here's the local meal in your area you know the, the the place down the street has food that's okay or something like that i think you want to get into something that's more transactional at the end of the day i want food i don't want the diet i want food i want to eat absolutely and and so we're already talking to
6: like some preliminary partnerships with that model but i feel like what we're setting up you know for instance i don't i i think amazon and you know instacart all of these things have these great services out there already so we can be a feeder to those those those, those systems we could also one of the 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 ideas that I'm toying with is we do become that and we are talking to a localized meal uh, delivery service. So if you're in a triathlon and you do this thing, they will, I can't get into the full scope. I had a friend try and run a business like that. Yes, it's massive. It's really hard. It's it's massive, you know, and I'm involved in it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not totally, I think for avocado's sake, we need to be the connection point to these things and i absolutely agree with you that that is the fit but i also feel like you know a lot of my a lot of people i know the, the blue aprons and the these kinds of meal in a box services it's shrinking actually you know these models people go out they try it and then they they stop using it sure. and they stop using it because they eat the way they want to eat ultimately you know and so that's my goal is to say you eat the way you want to eat i'm going to connect you to recipes meal plans ideas things that you can that are tangible to who you are and and I think the next stage of development is is that feeder and really perfecting how that's going to work because I think a lot of the distribution channels that would work with us are already there
4: the the other comment that I would say is that we could talk a lot about what this could have but I think a lot of it is in the design in the user experience right cuz there's very specific things about, like, how do you keep people on and how do they make it, you know, what's the, the branding and the language and, and all that sort of stuff that, that encourages people, is supportive, doesn't seem daunting, right? Like, does this website experience seem like too much information or just enough and all that sort of stuff? And for an early stage investor like me, I think, I mean, it's it's great that you have Augie, who I actually know. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Uh, on your team, but, but I also want to understand... Ultimately, you're building, uh, you know, a consumer-facing product in the web space. So unlike the, you know, sort of commodity exchange, where, you know, in an enterprise world, p- those people are used to dealing with very basic apps. As long as the information's on the screen and I can execute, like, they're, they're fine with it. So I'm less worried about the design there. But in your case, understanding user user experience design, what perspective are you coming from? And I think I think visuals count a lot. So to be able to show somebody like, here's what we're thinking about how this is designed here. Here's the person on the team you can count on for this design. I think that's very important to you. Absolutely. And and,
3: we are really out of time and I hate to cut everybody off because we all want to talk to Charlie more and we are going to talk to Charlie more. We're going to do another pitch show with Charlie in the summer season. So if you are a startup founder Send us your deck, TechBytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We will have two companies in the booth again. Charlie, last last thought for Mark, real quick. Yes, no, maybe so.
4: Oh, I would definitely want to know more about the business, and so it's always about getting that next meeting. Excellent. Right. So I would, so is I would he want gonna to get know a next more meeting. I, certainly more I inform- certainly love for him to answer some more questions. So for
3: sure. excellent. And last word for Aaron and Avocado.
4: Yeah, I would say I'd love to see design specs, you know, that that sort of thing, uh, because it's an interesting space.
3: Wonderful. So success, because another conversation means another conversation. If you want to hear this conversation again, come back and see us at 11 a.m. on Thursdays at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. If you want to find Charlie, he's at brooklynbridge.vc or at ceonyc on social media. You can find Mark at bluefields.co or at Mark Bluefields. And you can find Aaron at The Feinstein. I'm Jennifer Leizzi. This is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening.